love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is wonderful, wonderful truth from God. I want to point out two things before we really get into this um, that make, help us make sense of this, all right? Number one, uh, this is an argument, all right? It's an argument. He is trying to make us see things the way he wants us to see them, right? That's what arguments are. I'm not talking about the kind of arguments we have at home, <laughs> right? I'm not talking about stomping out of the room and yelling and being nasty towards you. That's not that kind of argument. But the kind of argument where he is trying to really wrestle us to the ground in our thinking, okay? He wants us to believe certain things. And so it's an argument. And so arguments have words like therefore in them, right? And for and if then. Okay, that's what I mean. He's, he's really trying to get us to think straight. Uh, scripture is not, you know, you don't, the way, we should not read Scripture like a bucket of um, fortune cookies. We dump out on the table and just randomly pick out and oh, that's nice. Let's pick another one. Oh, that's nice. It's not just a random collection of nice thoughts. Most of Scripture is an argument, which means we have to think. We have to work, follow, make the conclusions that he wants us to, to make, all right? It really matters. Second thing about this, before we get into it. Um, these verses I read, Romans 5, 1 to 11, there's, there's something missing in here that you, you often find in Scripture, <laughs> even the New Testament, maybe even especially the New Testament. What's missing in this section is there is no command at all. We're, he doesn't tell us to do anything. Now, Scripture is filled with commands. The New Testament is filled with commands. I mean, almost every page. But here, this is, there are no commands here. There's nothing for us to do. We are to think straight. We're to believe what he's telling us. Now, there are implications. And I'm going to give you some exhortations based on the truth of this, okay? But just note this. He is stating the facts. He's stating what's true. We are to believe this. Scripture is profitable, Paul says, for doctrine. Here's some doctrine. And we can live on this doctrine. This is not some kind of esoteric thing up here that's, that smart people should worry about. Okay, this is deeply rooted in everything that makes everything make sense in Scripture. This is the gospel. So look at verse 1. Therefore, all right, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So you see, this is, 
is something that we have because we've been justified. It's a consequence. It's a fruit of our justification. It's peace with God. Now, before that makes sense, we've got to go back up, right? Because he's talking about, he's basing everything he says on this truth of justification. So what does it mean to be justified? Flip back a page, okay? Go up to chapter 4. Let me just read a few verses from the beginning of chapter 4 where he really sweetly unpacks this for us, okay? Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Okay? That's what it means to be justified. To be justified, there are two things you see in those verses. One of them at the end there, when he's quoting from the psalm, um, God does not count your sin against you. All right? You're forgiven. God does not count your sins against you. Your sins are covered. Are we yawning? You must not feel like you have very big sins. Your sins are forgiven. Isn't that great? All of them. Yes, even that one. But there's more. Okay? <laughs> right? What does he say? Abraham believed God, up in verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. To the one who doesn't work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness. So there's not just forgiveness, there's righteousness. There's the negative, right? Wiping away your sins, not counting them against you. And then there's this other thing. There's this positive, there's this, this counting of righteousness, crediting it to your account, imputing it to you. That's the word the, the theologians use, right? It's, it's, it's granted to you. Whose righteousness? Well, it's the righteousness of God himself in the flesh. How righteous is God in the flesh? Perfect righteousness. 
perfect righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, where he obeyed everything that God commanded perfectly in his thoughts, in his intentions, in his feelings, in his actions, in his words. Everything that God commanded, Jesus Christ fulfilled perfectly, perfect righteousness. And that righteousness, according to the Apostle Paul, is counted to your account, is given to you, is reckoned to you. What does that mean? When God looks at you, not only does he forgive your sins, wipes them away as if they, they didn't ever exist, right? The Lord will not count your sin against you. That's great, but it's greater than that. He gives you, he treats you as if you have fully accomplished all the righteousness that Christ accomplished. Now, I know, I believe these ideas, these truths are common to us, but boy, familiarity breeds contempt. (laughs) Please just think about this for a minute. Sins are wiped away, forgiven, actually but I'm not just, God, he's not just going to deal with you in, in, as, a, as a neutral, you know, clean slate. He doesn't wipe away the slate, give it back to you and say, okay, buddy, knock yourself out. Fill it up with your righteousness. We're going to, we'll restart. But now it's up to you. No. He wipes your sins off, paints Jesus' righteousness on that slate, and then hands it back to you. And now he is dealing with you always and only, if you're in Christ, always and only as if you were just exactly as righteous as his son. That's what it means to be justified. It's very hard to believe. This is why he, keeps, he wrestles us to the ground here. It's very hard to believe. He's proving it from the Old Testament in chapter 4, Abraham and David, right? This is not some new novel thing. So go back to chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, totally forgiven, counted righteous in Christ by faith, not by works, Since that's true, right? What? Well, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about peace in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's it's the peace that sorry, the peace that we have in our like in our in our experience. You know what I'm saying? We feel peace. Um, we're not anxious. We have this kind of rest in our hearts. It's the kind of peace that Paul talks about in Philippians when when he says, don't be anxious for anything. Remember this? But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known of God, and the peace of God will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. There's that kind of peace, the opposite of anxiety. This kind of peace is different. This is relational peace. 
we have peace, not the peace of God, but peace with God. God is not fighting us anymore. He's not against us anymore. If you're in Christ, okay? We have peace with God. Now that's just amazing, because how did we come into the world? We come into the world as enemies of God. He said that, and he's going to say it here in a minute. We are enemies of God. We are enemies of God, and God is against us. If you are not in Christ, if you have not bowed your knee to him and and accepted this gift of justification by faith, not because you're doing your best and you hope it all turns out in the end, but because you've accepted the, the gift of free justification by God's grace, by faith alone. Right? If that's not you, you are an enemy of God. And it goes both ways. <laughs> Doesn't it? We all hopefully remember what this was like. You know, the, uh, someone said this about atheists. Atheists say what? There is no God, and I hate him. You know? You don't find people hating the Easter Bunny. But boy, do you find people hating God, who supposedly doesn't exist. We come with this enmity, this hatred. We love the darkness rather than the light because our deeds are evil. And that is what you are, apart from Christ. That's what we are. And yet, now he says, no, I'm at peace with you. I'm at peace with you. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not against you. I know you think he's against you, but he's not. Verse 2, through him, through Jesus, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This, the grace in which we stand is justification. And he says, we, we, how do we get into that? How do we gain access to this friendship with God? Well, of course, it's through Jesus. He's our mediator. He's the one that did the work, not us. It's through him and him alone, right? Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we what? What does it say? We stand. Right? Stable. Strong. Solid. Secure. And then he says this, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
This is what is true of those who are justified. He's going to use that word rejoice, I think, three times in these verses. Those who are justified rejoice over very certain particular things. This is what it, this is a, like an inescapable fruit of being justified. We rejoice. Okay, what, what do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? This is a weird phrase, okay? And you read the commentaries and they'll all tell you something different. Here's what I think it means. Um, Jesus says something in, in John 5, verse 44. He's talking to the, to the Jews, to the Pharisees, who are wanting to kill him, it says. And he says this, um, verse, let's see, start in 42. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So what does it mean to receive glory from someone? He says the same thing over in chapter 12, John 12, verse 42 John says this, Nevertheless, many even of the the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Right? What does that mean? What is the glory that comes from man? How would we put that? Um, Approval? Acceptance. Right? He says you can't believe because you're more concerned about what people think of you than you are concerned with how God thinks of you. That's what he says in John 5. You're more concerned about the glory that comes from men than the glory that comes from God. The approval, the praise, the acceptance. Right? You all can relate to that? And he says, that automatically short-circuits belief. How can you believe, if you're more concerned about what people think of you, than you are concerned about what God thinks of you? And so go, go back to Romans 5. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I think that probably means we rejoice in the hope of the smile of God, the approval of God, the acceptance of God, that we will, we will in the future, because it's hope, stand in the presence of God and he will smile at us. He will receive us. He will embrace us. He will actually welcome us. He will accept us. And we rejoice in that hope. 
right? You all on board with that, right? <laughs> Good. And then he says this in verse 3. More than that, it gets even better, right? But wait, there's more, right? What, what's the more? More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. There's the second rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God is going to accept me because I'm justified. I have peace with God. All my sins forgiven. The righteousness of Christ charged to my account, imputed to my account, given to me. And more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What's the reasoning here? Why does he say this? Because when we suffer, we automatically think what? What do we always automatically think? Make it stop. That's true. And what else? Go deeper than that. Why? And we always assume what? Maybe I'm the only weird one here. Yeah. God's against me. God's against me. That's the why, right? We ask and we answer the question. Why does this happen? Oh, I know. God's against me. This is, this is God punishing me. Now, it's only, it's half right. It is half right. But it, it is from God, okay? It is from God. We've we got to believe that. We don't live in an accidental world. We're not at the whims of nature and chance and fate and all that junk. Right? But it's not because God is punishing you. It is, in fact, because he's loving you. Remember what it says about discipline in Hebrews 12? Remember that? Okay, hold on. So Hebrews 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he, what? Loves and chastises every son whom he, what? Receives. He chastises those whom he is at peace with. Okay? Why? He says, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Clearly, the Apostle Paul has never visited America. <laughs> if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers 
who disciplined us and we respected them. Right? Right, kids? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see this? Romans 5, verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your suffering is not God pouring his wrath out on you. It's actually him pouring his love out on you. Because you're a son and he loves you. And the, the suffering produces something. It's not fruitless. It's not pointless. It is for your good, isn't it? See it? Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. You cannot have in character without suffering. We all know this. Character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. That means when... There's so many things that we hope in that are stupid and, and are embarrassing in the end, like, I don't know, cryptocurrency maybe I don't know I don't know the stock market politicians <laughs> politicians we kind of feel embarrassed don't we sometimes it's like oh boy I really uh, this time they got me I really thought this time <laughs> this kind of hope will never disappoint you it'll never it'll never embarrass you God's at work. Now, let's, let's do the second part real quick here. Verse 6. He's still arguing with us. He's still trying to make us see, okay? And he's still proving this. So in verse 6, 4, right? Here's another reason, guys. Look, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I'm just too, I just feel like I'm not worthy of, you know, of, of Jesus' love. And he's like, yeah, I know, exactly, precisely, bingo. Finally, maybe you're beginning to see this, right? You were weak. You were weak when he died for you. You were ungodly when he died for you. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That means, you know, the guy with principles, you find it hard to kind of like die for a guy with just because he has principles. And then he says, though perhaps for a good person, someone might dare to die. Someone you actually like. Okay. Not just because he's got principles, but because he's likable, righteous and good, right? But, verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, this is a verse that we memorize when we're in second grade or something. 
And so we yawn at it. God shows his love for us in this. There's, there's nothing else you need to know. There's no other token of God's love that you need than this. He, while we were still sinners, died. His son died for you. That word shows is kind of weak, actually. I think the uh, New American Standard says demonstrates. But do you remember what the King James says there? No one got this stuck in your head from, from King James? God commendeth his love for us. He commends it. What does it mean to commend something? I commend to you. What am I saying? I'm, I'm lifting this thing up and showing it to you and de- demonstrating it to you so that you will really be amazed by this. I'm, I'm you know, it's not just, hey, see that? That's showing, right? Commending is much bigger. It's public. It's magnificent. Someone said that the cross is the pulpit of God's love. The cross is the pulpit of God's love. Don't you ever, ever doubt the love of God for you. do that, don't we? While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. How can we question the love of God? He shows it to us. He he throws it out there. He proclaims it. He steps onto the pulpit of the cross and proclaims it to us. God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore, he's arguing, since therefore, you following, right? We have now been justified by his blood, all right? Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is why we know he is not punishing you when you suffer. He's not pouring out his wrath on you. He is disciplining you as a son because he loves you. We will be saved from the wrath of God through him. You will not suffer the wrath of God if Christ has died for you, if you've been justified. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, peace with God, that's what he's talking about, while we were enemies, much more Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Totally, totally secure. Your future is totally, perfectly secure because of what Christ has done. Perfect righteousness credited to your account. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus. And so you get everything he gets. Life, joy, eternal glory. We will be saved by his life. 
And then verse 11, more than that. This is like Christmas. It's like Christmas. And you open, there's a really great big box, right? And you open up the great big box, right? And then there's another box inside of that. But it's actually, it's not one of those trick things that we do sometimes. (laughs) Where you get the big box and in the end it's like a keychain, you know? After opening ten boxes. Every box is a gift that is contained in the previous gift. And so you've got justification. Oh, justification. What's inside? Well, there's peace with God in there. And then there's, you know, rejoicing in our sufferings is in there. Then being saved from the wrath of God and and having that steady, certain hope is in there. What else? More than that, verse 11. Here's another one. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the the ultimate gift inside all of those gifts is that we get get God. Not just the gifts, not just the things he gives us, but him. And so we rejoice in him. We get him. The, The best thing you could ever imagine, God creator of the universe, the Holy One. We get him. Relationship with him. Now, these are all just statements of fact, no commands. But you know it's not just kind of take it or leave it. He wants us to believe this. How do you know if you believe it or not? How do you know? Let me just give you one way to know. Um, what the Apostle Paul does all the time is he takes these, these kinds of truths, right? And he then turns them around and he says, if this is how God has treated you, This is how you must treat everyone else. Right? So this is how God has treated you. This is how you are to treat everyone else. So, for example, in chapter, in uh, Romans 15, verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Right? Being justified, Christ has opened his arms wide and has welcomed you. Right? Now, we are to take that and do that with one another. Right? Or he says in... in, um, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see the, the reasoning here? This is how God has treated you in Christ. Now treat everyone else the same way. So how do we know whether or not we get this? Well, just look at yourself and think about how you treat people. You understand? Um, I think about it. Do you treat people um, with this open, welcoming, forgiving, kind-hearted tenderness, even when they sin against you, right? Or are you just like, 
No. I know what you did. I remember what you did. I suspect what you did was probably even worse than I think it is. You know? And you grind them into, into dust in your great righteousness. And so everyone is wrong. Everyone has sinned against you. And you will not welcome them for crying out loud. No, you will reject them. You will judge them. You'll be nasty with them. What does that mean? This is, I think, probably the best way to know whether you understand justification or not. Okay? This is how you think God deals with you. Remember the, the parable, or yeah, the parable in Matthew 18? Jesus talks about the guy who, who owes like this ridiculous astronomical debt to the king. Remember this? And he comes in and he says, just be patient. I'll try to pay it. And the king says, no, you're not. This is, there's no way. I mean, if you, you do the math, it's like, no, this is like insane, right? There's no way he's going to pay the debt. So he forgives him the debt, Right? And then do you remember what the guy does? Goes out to a fellow slave who owes him like five bucks or whatever and throttles him. Says he grabs him by the throat, you know, and it's like, pay me what you owe. And what happens to that guy? He is, uh, it says he's thrown into prison and no, he's delivered to the torturers. That's what it says. That's what Jesus says. He will be delivered to the torturers until he can pay everything back, which means he's, he's done. And he says, Jesus says, if you don't forgive, how is it that you're forgiven? Okay? So that's my exhortation. <laughs> how are you going to know? How do you know that you've been justified by faith? How do you know that you really understand this? How do you treat people? Because we are to treat them the way God treated us. Now, you're not justified by doing that. <laughs> Don't get it all flipped around. You're not justified by treating people the way, you know, no, 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 no. It's not to the one who works, but to the one who trusts him, believes him, who justifies the ungodly. Don't flip it around. But when you do, and you remember what God has done, you are then to act that way. Sorry, I'm getting a little close to you, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm actually trying to hide from the sun. There we go. <laughs> All right. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth of God. Live in it. Live out of it. Understand it. Believe it. Amazing. Amazing sweetness he has given us. Let's pray together. Father, would you please um, open our hearts to understand, to believe, 
to truly get the riches of the grace you've poured out on us, the riches of the love you've poured out on us, the freedom of our standing with you through Christ alone. Please have mercy. Help us to turn that around into our treatment of one another. Help us to rejoice even in our suffering, Lord. Because we know what you're doing. Please help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.